news on speed. News reflux. The prospect of a London Grand Prix was put back in the public eye this week when the Times reported that a circuit in Docklands has been designed and that the concept will be pitched to Formula One. The funding for this proposed F1 race in London comes from a £250 million development scheme. Presumably at least half of that will be needed to pay London's ULES charge for the cars on the bloody track. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm Gareth, he's Alex. Hi. And he's Zog. Hello. Gentlemen, how are we? Zog, how are you? Getting by. I'm peachier than I believe Alex is at the moment. I'm a little bit under the weather. I've got a poorly tummy again. Sorry to hear it. But you did manage to fight your way through that to have a pretty good celebration on Saturday night of your birthday, which I was at and very happy to be at. I had some gin and then I threw it up on the way home. (laughs) But other than that... It was great, yeah. It wasn't because of over-drinking, it was just because I wasn't very well and I tried to tough it out and that was a stupid idea. I should have just said, everyone go to the pub and have fun, I'm going to be in bed quietly dying. Well, we're glad that you're with us today and we value the effort that you've made to sit in front of a camera and a microphone (laughs) today when I know how unwell you actually are. You're a big, lovely lad, thank you. Okay, let's talk about something that you mentioned to me, actually, on Saturday, Alex, that you'd been driving some products of the uh, Régie Renault larger corporation. Well, I've been playing in lots of Renault things, or sort of Renault things. Would you like to know about the Dacia Jogger or... The Renault 5. We'll come to the Renault 5 in a minute, but let's talk about the Jogger, because I am a massive fan of Dacia. I had a Duster recently, relatively recently, which I was really impressed with. In terms of value, that car is just glorious. Mm. But the Jogger, it's an unusual creature, isn't it? It's an odd thing. It's an odd name as well. Yes, it is. It's a very odd name. I don't entirely get because there's the Jogger and then you've got the Duster and then the Sandero, which I actually have one on my drive at the moment. I'm doing a review of that. It's arrived on Friday and it's Monday now and I haven't had a chance to drive it yet. And I'm going to Spain tomorrow, so it's going to be a tight turnaround for that one. It's an odd name, but it's not a very odd car. From certain angles, it looks like a Volvo V40. It looks like it could be an estate, could be a hatch could be an SUV. It's got big Skoda Roomster vibes. Yeah, yeah, which is a Hmm. tremendously useful bit of technology, that car. Yeah, Yeah, I I think the Jogger is somewhere between an SUV and an estate car, in my opinion, but it's not quite either of those things. No, it's a very bizarre thing. I drove it, I went to Lisbon for a day a couple of weeks ago to drive it, and it's a fascinating thing because it's not covered in the latest technology that does X, Y, Z. It is very base level. It is a car. Yeah. It's the equivalent of when you go to Morrison's. Other supermarkets are available. Morrison's have like a generic range of value goods that are almost mm. totally unbranded. And I guess that's yeah. sort of what 
stature are doing, but they are carving out their own identity in the process, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Um, none of the cars cost 30p anymore, which I put a thing on Twitter the other day saying, oh, I've got this Sandero. Oh, doesn't it cost the earth now? It's like, yeah, material costs have gone up. Cars are expensive now, sorry. But it does what it does in its own quirky little way. They've got this new design language. They've got the new logo. It looks kind of more modern and pointy. And that matches things like the HVAC vents and just the details throughout the car. And it looks kind of utilitarian and rugged. I mean, the the Duster is the UN spec off-road SUV. You get a white one of those on steel wheels and you're great. Get a jogger on steel wheels and in white, then, you know, it's mum driving the kids to school through a war zone, perhaps. But... You can drive it hard and it will do wallowy leany things and you can go fast in it if you're quickish in it and you're not going to break the sound barrier, but you can still have a bit of fun in it. But at its very base level, it is a car and it's really good at being a car because it doesn't pretend to be anything else. They don't go, oh, this is designed for the joie de vivre, for just nipping around Paris. Like, no, this is a cheap car to go to and from school, the supermarket, swimming lessons, whatever, work. And the side effect is it doesn't look horrible and it won't cost the earth. And you still get car play and all that stuff. It's a sort of anti-brand. Zog, this is something I know that you've talked about before on the programme. Cars which are designed to appeal to people who don't like cars. They're not trying to sell you, you know, an aggressive sporting image. They're just trying to sell you something that works. And they're doing very well at selling it. It's the antithesis of what a company like Jaguar is yep. sort of seems to be doing these days. In Rather than selling you a vehicle, it's selling you a lifestyle. Uh-huh. And arguably, this is what higher-end companies, anyone that's sort of working in the luxury field, is they're kind of selling you a lifestyle rather than a thing. Yeah. But it's just much more obvious here that if you want the basic utilitarian value-for-money thing that you might actually need, yeah, Dash are doing the job of making those things very well Mm. and they're doing it much better than car brands that people will be more familiar with people in europe are more familiar with they're simply doing it better than most of those companies are now but they're certainly not doing the thing of being able to sell you an aspirational luxury lifestyle it's a more functional thing the lifestyle it promises is not one that will fill your up with glitter (laughs) and pour you champagne in the shower it's moving furniture and children and family and shopping it's that kind of life and in this age of thrift that we are in that i mentioned in the last program no wonder dacha are doing well Mm, they're doing incredibly well i had a spin in the hybridy wybridy and it was really good like it wasn't a plug-in job it was what toyota would call a self-charging hybrid but it means the powertrain is simple or comparatively simple it requires no effort from the end user other than to turn the car on and go yeah actually since you mentioned it can we just have a quick thought what do we think about the term self-charging rather than hybrid i blow a huge flaming raspberry at that expression It winds me up. Does it wind you up, see? Yeah, it does. I think hybrid is perfectly good. Yeah. Self-charging, I don't think... No, hybrid is perfectly good. Why confuse things? It stops people asking questions going, do I need to plug it in? No, it does that itself. How does that work? Well, it basically charges itself. I mean, on its on a very base level, that phrase does do a job for people who aren't like us. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Yeah. It is marketing nonsense. Yes, but at the same is. time, it's very descriptive for people that don't know 
the kind of stuff that we know. And half the conversations I have about cars are with people who don't understand half the stuff that we know. Mm. So if you say to someone, oh, it's a hybrid, what kind is it? Is it a plug-in? No, it's self-charging. Oh, OK, what do I need to do then? Just drive it and the problem solves itself. Yeah, You could argue that the system charges itself with the application of petrol. I'd argue that it is an energy recovering vehicle because that's what hybrids do, really. They recover the energy from retardation and redeploy that. It's not the most elegant of terms, though, is it? I would say the statement that you just made there, Gareth, is not correct because you didn't mention the fact that a hybrid vehicle might use an internal combustion engine to recharge the batteries. My problem with describing a thing as self-charging is that it doesn't tell you any more than hybrid does. You yeah. can say, you know, if somebody presented with the, with the term hybrid vehicle will say, as you say, Alec, well, how does it recharge? Oh, well, OK, there's an internal combustion engine in there that, uh, that will recharge the battery. Self-charging can describe that, but self-charging can also describe a car with solar panels on the roof. That's a self-charging electric vehicle. I would love to invite our listeners to come up with a better term than self-charging because none of us particularly like it. Oh, yeah. God. I can already hear the guys from the Motoring Podcast screaming because those chaps also have a problem with self-charging hybrid. Oh, really? Uh, a, a, oh, a very big problem with self-charging hybrid. They will be very cross. But how about we go away from self-charging hybrids and on to the future of Renault produce. Yeah, Renault, they've gone bonkers, in my opinion. They're sort of rebranding and splitting up and diversifying. They've got two splinter operations, haven't they? One is called Ampere, which is their sub-brand for all their EV vehicles that they're going to build in the north of France. Mm -hmm. And then they've got this other project called Project Horse. <laughs> Very strange name, which is, as I understand it, an alliance with Geely, where they're going to develop their internal combustion engines mm -hmm. for deployment across not only Renault, but also Dacia, some Nissan, some Mitsubishi, and a load of Geely as well. Yeah. So it's, it's a rubbish name. There's a lot of rubbish names in this program today. Self-charging, the horse project. I can see why it's called the horse project. Chevaux is synonymous. That's a Citroen yeah, thing, not a Renault thing. synonymous with French cars is what I was getting at. It kind of means yeah. something in French uh, in a different way than it does here. But horse, really? Really? That means heroin, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah maybe did they kick the project off in the year of the horse maybe i'm just trying to think where the oh, name might have come from it is a chinese co-production so yeah but what are we now the year of the egg or something what are we oh good lord hang on to the internet uh, rabbit i think the year rabbit? of the rabbit i think yeah 2023 is rabbit year it is year of the rabbit what was last year and was last year the year of the horse uh, then China, hang on Chinese year, 2022. Good job you've got fast fingers, Yeah, the Alex. tiger was last year, so 2021. Project Tiger sounds much cooler. Project Tiger <laughs> yeah. does sound a lot cooler, doesn't it? It was the ox the year before. Okay. Right. I'm looking forward to the year of the armadillo or the wasp or the dandy fly. Probably the blowing the year of project initiation theory out of the water, as we've gone a couple of years back and we haven't yeah. got to the horse yet. It was a worthy shot, Z. Chinese You can lead an idea to something, but you animals. can't lead it to there a horse. That's the old so saying. Isn't rat, it? Yeah, ox, tiger, <laughs> rabbit, dragon, snake, horse, goat, monkey, rooster, dog and pig. They all have their place in time 
if you're Chinese. They are all in their way very auspicious years. The horse was last yeah. 2014 and it will next be 2016. No, we've done 2016, so that's not next. Sorry, 2026. 2026. Well, maybe that's it, because I think you may be right, Zog, because I think those engines are for deployment in 2026. So you may have actually stumbled on that. Okay. Well done. Bingo. Anyway, Jogger. Fantastic. Apart from just being a really good car, is there much else to say about it? No, it's aggressively okay. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. The drive is good. The storage is smart. There are seven seats. It's not massive. It's easy to see out of. It's quickish. It's comfy. You can have car play. Like, it's a car. It's extremely unremarkable, is what you're saying. Yeah, but that's a good thing, because if it had a funny quirk, like a wheel fell off, that would be bad for its target market. And its target Mm. market doesn't give a crap about oh look it's got flames down the side and you can do jumps in it yeah. no they want a car that's reliable and isn't going to explode which is that yeah. basically and it's mega mm. uh, but yeah conversely from hybrid jogger that very same week i went to sweden to drive the new renault 5 sort of ooh. what do you mean sort of i'm about to go ooh, but what's the sort of it looked like a Clio and it was only on ice and it's not coming out till next year. So it's a very, 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 very early prototype. You drove a mule. I drove a mule. So we've had horses, we've had mules. <laughs> it's very equestrian this episode, isn't it? I like to bring the variety. It was a really interesting trip. It was up in that there, Sweden, and they threw out a Zoe and then a later prototype and an earlier prototype. And it was all about traction tuning. So we got rear end traction, front end traction, wheel slip and things like that. So the Zoe, they had us do four exercises in all. The first was a sort of high speed lane change in each of them. Then the second was a slalom and then a series of tight corners and then high speed braking from, I think we built up to 90 kph. The high speed braking was interesting because one side was sheet ice and the other side was proper tarmac. So there was lots of grip on the left and not much on the right, which is quite interesting because they were showing off the new braking system developed with Continental. The PR worked. (laughs) 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 We were at Continental's facility, so it kind of made sense. But yeah, it was a fascinating thing to have a go in a car so early in its development. Mm. The pre-prods were... They were ropey. You got a Clio, but the rear wheel was pushed really far forward in the wheel arch because the wheelbase of the new 5 is tiny in comparison. There was a charging flap on the front of the Clio so they could plug it in and, and charge it up. The interior was all Clio. The steering wheel was a bit different, but the rest of it was just Clio with lots of big red buttons to stop stuff if it all went a bit wrong. So they had two prototypes, Echo 2 and Echo 1. Echo 2 was the older of the two. So it had summer tuning on it, not winter tuning, which is not ideal when you're in Sweden on a frozen lake. And then they had Echo 1, which is the more up-to-date one, where they've got a bit closer tune on it, so you could play with it a little more. But still, the wheels span, and it was kind of the torque curve was all over the place. But the way the cars held themselves when you were kind of putting them through some quite hardcore manoeuvring was fascinating because they've got rear end stability, which you don't really think of in a front-drive car, but it will Mm -hmm. keep the ass in check. Whereas the Zoe they gave us was just all over the shop. It was slow, it was a bit odd, and it was weird, that. Interesting. So should we be excited about a new Renault 5 on the basis of an early preview? From a very early drive, you know, I drove it on ice and snow. It, it is in no way representative of the finished product. Sure, Because yeah, okay. that'll have a Renault 5 body on it. But it's coming next year. Like They were telling me the, the rate of development on this, because it, the concept was revealed, what, two years ago. Luca Di Maio, new boss, went... 
make that. That is what you need to make. Make it now. Do it now. So they've got this new EV version of their platform, which is designed to take in a bunch of cells. They won't say how much battery it can have in it yet, but it's modular, so you can make it bigger and smaller and taller and whatever you want, really. And you can fiddle with wheelbases and tracks and stuff like that. The interesting thing is, you know, the commitment they have to the project, the fact they know they have to make it work is fascinating. And the speed at which they've brought it all together in a couple of years from nothing to prototype and then next year there will it'd be late next year admittedly but it'll be finished car production car go drive it it's a thing i'm excited about it i really am it was fascinating to have a go and spin a lot and kill a lot of cones renault have got some pretty good looking cars at the moment i noticed a megan e do they call it the megan e or the megan e tech the megan e tech so that's based on a different platform to the five. It's huge. Oh, it's massive. The platform with the five, the five is going to be on something called the CMFB EV platform. So the CMFB does lots of, or a version of that does other Renault and Nissan Alliance vehicles. The CMFB EV is purely for tiny EV stuff. So the 5 will be on that, the upcoming Renault 4 SUV will be on that, and a bunch of other stuff depending on who wants it. Probably a new Zoe on that as well, I would think. The development of the Zoe is over. Oh. Renault's small EV is now the Renault 5. Because the Zoe, when you think about it, it's been around for about 12 years. Yeah, yeah. And by the time the 5 comes along, it'll be 13 years. And I did ask them for an upcoming piece what the deal was with it. Like, are you resting on your laurels? What are you thinking about? What's the deal here? And they were like, to be honest, the car itself has evolved quite a lot. While the exterior doesn't look like it's changed, because it's still, you know, basically an egg. It's had bigger battery, it's had different range, it's had steering upgrades, it's had braking upgrades. It is now still a very relevant product. But when DeMaio went in and said, I want a Renault 5, they basically went, right, that's enough of the Zoe, kill it. Well, not kill it, but let its life come to an end. Two thoughts about the Zoe. Number one, it's one of the best names for a zero emissions vehicle. You could have come up with Zoe. I think that's lovely. Almost as good as the Ion. Do you remember the Peugeot Ion? The Peugeot Ion. It was the Citroen C0 and it was the Mitsubishi Imeo. That's it. I like the Ion because it had the zero or an O in the Mm. middle like Peugeots are supposed to have. I thought that was great. But I feel very affectionate towards the Zoe. I think it was the second or third electric car I ever drove and I remember being impressed with it. But I was discussing seeing something with a pal of mine up in Liverpool the other day who owns a Zoe. Wasn't it given a zero NCAP rating recently, which is shocking, really? How the heck did that happen? Let's have a look. Isn't that a particular version of it? Yeah. Yeah, hang on. I'm just on a new story now. The earlier models are okay, but after the revision, it got a zero rating. I think that's right, Alex. Isn't it? An Auto Express story on the 9th of December 2021. The Renault Zoe has become only the third car in Euro NCAP history to be awarded zero stars for crash safety. The previous version of the popular electric hatchback received a five-star rating in 2013, but thanks to more stringent safety tests and the omission of certain safety features, the latest model scored poorly. Didn't do well in front offset crash. Driver's chest would be knackered. Worse in the side pole test, so hitting a tree. Oh, yeah, not good. A key factor was the removal of the head airbag. Right. You can see how that happens if 
more stringent testing is brought in place. But it's still quite shocking that a mature, clever, big corporation like Renault could get caught out by something like that, isn't it? Well, it raises the question, I guess, of whether they knew when they decided to omit that head airbag, for example, or any of the other features that were omitted, whether they knew that would impact the test results, Mm, their mm. rating. If they knew their rating was going to drop that catastrophically, that would seem like a really bad decision. You know, if they knew they'd take some hit on the rating, you know, if they thought, well, maybe we'll drop from five star to four star, but actually they felt in good faith that actually there wasn't a significant difference in how safe the vehicle is. Maybe that could be not a stupid thing to do. But this has been a very bad decision because it's terrible from a PR point of view. Mm. And it also, it can't be good from a safety point of view. Yeah. I'm sure that when one delves into the detail, that maybe quite a lot of the time, the difference between a three-star and a four-star vehicle isn't all that great, or a four and a five so isn't all that great. And, you know, there are maybe a couple of particular things that prevents one vehicle getting the same slightly higher rating that another vehicle might get. But in this case, it's clearly less safe to have an accident in the later vehicle. Amazing. Interesting. (laughs) um, I'm wondering if that might even have contributed to the idea that Renault might want to dump the Zoe brand because it carries this slight cachet of zero rating. And that's another reason for bringing back the sink, the five, which is a gorgeous looking thing. Well, the concept that we've seen looks great, doesn't it? Well, it's not a classic on the same level as the Mini or the Beetle, but it is one of those, you know, older, well-recognised much loved models the Renault 5 when you think about it is one of those cars that you knew someone that had one yeah right yeah it didn't quite have the same stretches you know everyone knows someone that had a Ford everyone like everyone in the world pretty much has had an experience in near or around a Ford but you knew like people of a certain age will know someone that had one in some way shape or form I think right. for my sort of generation people had them as first cars yeah we were on the Clio 2 by the time we were learning to drive but you know your first car was a snotter so it was either a Citroen AX a Clio a 5 or if your parents were nice a Polo but you will have had an interaction with them mm. because it was around for God knows how long, 70-something till 80-something, 90-something. So it's a sort of cultural automotive touchstone. So the fact it's coming back, especially with retro calls, so it can take on stuff like the Fiat 500e. The thing I hope for it, though, is that it'll come with a usable range. I don't mind if the charge time's naff. I do mind if the range is rubbish because you end up with the Honda E problem of, oh, it'll do 104 miles if you breathe on it gently yeah. and mm. only, and you're a quaver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah and drive at work. 30 mile per hour in the city only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas if it could actually be usable, when I spoke to some of the guys there, they were saying that there is a possibility there'll be two outputs and two ranges because for some people it could be an only car. For some people it could be a second car. Mm. So it all depends on Mm. what that'll be, whether we're going to get it, what the price point is. I mean, if it's more than 30 grand, game over Mm -hmm. because Renault ain't mini. Yeah. It's not a premium brand, is it? Yeah. Hey, mini wasn't. But listen, I wish Renault well because I was just looking at the top 10 selling cars for 2023. And they are, according to Auto Express, this. Number one. No, actually, I'm going to go the other way. Number 10. The Ford Fiesta, still hanging in there. 
Number nine, the Vauxhall Mocha. Yes, it's a micro SUV sort of thing. Number eight, the Kia Sportage. Number seven, the Kia Nero. Number six, the Hyundai Tucson, all basically the same car. Number five, the Ford Puma. So Ford's biggest selling car is a sort of crossover-y kind of thing. It's a Fiesta on still. It is, yes. Fourth, the MGHS, which is probably almost as good as that MG4 that I had recently. Third is the Nissan Qashqai, which shares a lot of DNA with Renault. Second, the Volkswagen T-Roc, which again is a golf on steroids, you might say. But the number one selling car in Britain over the last few months has been the Vauxhall Corsa, which is a Peugeot 208 underneath, isn't it? And that T-Rock is a polo on stilts. Of course, yes. The Tiguan's the Golf on stilts. Yes, good catch. So Renault won't want to see a Vauxhall, part of the Stellantis group, at number one. And there was a time when Renault were, I think, the biggest selling non-British brand in the UK. I know that was a long time ago, but that's lost ground that I'm sure they need to recover. And hopefully the new... Sync will bring that back. Let's hope so. Mm, fingers crossed. I mean, from what I've seen, it does very well on ice. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how it does on tarmac. Alex, thank you for joining us for this part of the programme. I'm going to release you to go and release your stomach pains in whatever way you need now. I'm going to quietly die in my nest and turn on old episodes of Star Trek on Netflix and recover like any child should. Get well soon. I shall be doing a parallel thing here. I'm going to watch some old Star Trek and phone you up and watch an episode together. Take care, my lovely friend, and thank you. Love you, friends. Bye. Zog, you stick around, because we need to talk F1, don't we? We do. If you've listened to this programme for any length of time, and I know many of you have, then you'll know after the first race of the F1 season... I always publish a song called F1's Back with new lyrics and a slightly different musical background to suit the new season. And this year, I've taken my inspiration from Mercedes. Let me explain. I was going to do an all-electronic version of the song this year, sort of in the style of Depeche Mode or Human League or someone. But it all went wrong. I couldn't quite make that work. So just like the Mercedes-AMG, Ineos, F1, Patronus, Lewis Hamilton, Respect and Equality, F1 team, I've gone back to the drawing board, scratched my head and started all over again. So this year, F1's Back 2023 is an all-acoustic version. One, two, three, four... Teams, you'll be running to the ground. 
have in 2023 But it too many races for you and me That's an awful lot of running to entertain But we're 23 races We're in for a treat again Gareth Jones and It's all been going on in the Middle East recently. Apart from the first race of the F1 season in Bahrain, this last week in Saudi Arabia, we had the first race of the Extreme E season at Neom, which I watched. Doug, you didn't watch the Extreme E race, did you? I didn't. I had quite a hectic weekend and wasn't able to catch up. So what happened? Oh, a lot. Lots of crashes, lots of driver changes. Heike Kovalainen is now in there because he's done a bit of rally cross in the meantime. So, you know, Extreme is somewhere between rally cross and rally raid. He didn't do terribly well on his first outing, but let's see. He's a smart guy and I like Heike, so I want him to do well. But yeah, it's great. And the next Extreme E is in Scotland, the Hydro Extreme E-Pre, I think they call it. So I'm going to look into that. It's not for another six weeks, I think, but I quite fancy going to see some mud-splattering electric cars in yeah. Scotland. But hey, if you haven't seen it, we won't discuss it here, but we will discuss Formula One. Now, let's look briefly back at what happened in the first race and look forward, based on what we know from the first race, as to what's going to happen in Saudi, sorry, sordid Arabia this next weekend. What's the highlights in your respect? It's all about Alonso, really, isn't it? It is. Certainly the last race was. I mean, we really have to take our time, take a moment to appreciate and celebrate just how terrific that result was for Alonso. Uh, It was wonderful to see. Every few years... There's another owner or investor in a team and they talk about how they're going to turn the fortunes of the team around. They're going to have they've got a three-year plan or whatever it is, and they'll be investing and making the effort to take the team back to the front of the field. And over and over and over again, it just doesn't happen because yeah. it's very, very hard to do. Yeah. And just having a lot of money and a plan isn't enough. And most recently, Lawrence Stroll came along and his investment and his intentions all sounded great. He talked a big game. But last weekend, when Alonso put that Aston Martin on the podium in the first race of the season, best of the rest, Red Bull were expected all weekend and before the weekend to be clear favourites. So really the question is, who's going to be best of the rest? We know that Red Bull have classed the field Who's next quickest? And it was Aston Martin. They almost won the first race of the year, building on solid progress in the last couple of years. But for them to sign up Alonso towards the end of last season, bit of a coup. And for them to then come into this season showing promising pace in, in pre-season testing and then to deliver with a podium. Yeah, it was just a fabulous, fabulous result. And we'll be celebrating it and remembering it for a long time to come. Go Fernando. I'm going to play devil's egg-based drink here, devil's advocar rather than devil's advocate. The way that Aston Martin and at the hands of Alonso has impressed us, I think has been flattered by 
Mercedes' inability to retain that position as the second or even third best team at the moment. Mercedes have slipped back, allowing Aston Martin to leap in that narrow gap between them and the top two teams. Now, I'm not taking it away from them. It is clear that the Aston has come out of the blocks pretty sorted. We saw that by the way that Alonso was chucking it around and passing other cars, notably the Mercedes, with a plomb. You know, that was a joy to watch. You know, I am emotionally connected to the Aston Martin team because historically, you know, it was Jordan and I've always kept an eye on that team, whoever they were, whether they were Spiker, whether they were Midland, whether they Midland were or, yeah. Racing Point. Racing Point. Yeah, whoever they were. And now they've got this glorious brand, Aston Martin, you know, a great British brand who build road cars in Wales. I'm definitely emotionally attached. I don't have an emotional attachment, as you know, to Alonso and especially not to Lance Stroll. But I do like that team doing well. And I think they're doing better because not only Mercedes, but McLaren have failed to make the leap up and Alpine have failed to improve on where they were last year, as far as we can tell at the moment, based on the results at that first race. I mean, there were a few anomalies, weren't there, in that race, which include half of the Ferraris not finishing the race, and they were looking pretty handy. So, you know, we shouldn't dismiss Ferrari altogether from the championship, should we? No, my guess is it's going to be pretty close between Aston and Ferrari behind Red Bull in Saudi, but we'll see. But that's certainly how it's looking. Yeah, as you say, yeah, McLaren disappointing. I'd really like it if Lando and Oscar Piastri had something better to show us what they can do this year. But yeah, yeah, they're not going to be getting very far, are they, I think? I was reading something today where Christian Horner was saying that he expects the other teams to catch Red Bull relatively quickly this season because of the penalties giving restricted wind tunnel time to the Red Bull team. So they can't stay ahead with their development and that other teams will, if not overtake them, certainly get closer to them relatively quickly. I hope that is the case. I don't want a boring season. Uh, Yeah, I hope that's right. Maybe he's being absolutely straight when he says that. I doubt Mercedes would be able to take as much of an advantage, though, if they're going to be going down a whole new aero route, yep. which they've clearly indicated they're minded to do. They've got a lot more work to do and <laughs> not much time to do it. Yeah, so, they've got to throw away what they know at the moment, haven't they? You know, you've got to take two steps back to make one step forward and you don't want to be doing that whilst you're racing that's a difficult position it's only speculation but i read something today saying oh i'm sure lewis will be considering his future at mercedes and that there are only two teams that he might consider going to if he were to leave mercedes one being ferrari the other being aston martin now i know this is speculation but I mm. cannot see Lewis going to Aston Martin as long as Alonso's in the other car. He won't do it, will he? No, I think you're probably right that he wouldn't. If he was stepping into Alonso's vacated seat, seat yep. that could be a different story. Yeah, And yeah, I'm sure one could imagine a scenario where he might feel like he had a better chance with Aston Martin than with Mercedes. But I also think Lewis Hamilton isn't 
inclined to make those kind of career decisions very quickly. You know, he's only driven for two teams in his F1 career. He tends to make a decision and stick with it. Given that Aston Martin are using a Mercedes power plant, I think it's unlikely, I think it's very unlikely that in the long run, Mercedes would be likely to lag Aston Martin. I don't think Aston would maintain their advantage over Mercedes into next season. Mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if they did. Yeah, one swallow um, doth not a summer make. They've come out of the blocks well, but have they got the strength in depth to sustain it? I know that Lawrence Stroll has invested in some great people. He's cherry-picked some great people to go to Aston Martin, and they're building a whole new facility and a new wind tunnel. And a wind tunnel takes at least 12 months to calibrate to make sure that the data you're getting from the new tunnel matches what you expect. So... If there is going to be a proper entrenched recovery from Aston Martin, I don't think that's going to come for three or four years. But maybe that's Lewis's timescale. Maybe he'll sign for one year with Mercedes next year and then go to Aston because Alonso's deal with Aston is only for two years, as far as I know at the moment. But personally, I'd love to see Lewis in a Ferrari. And I could see a situation where a swap occurs, where Leclerc, who is disillusioned I think it's fair to say at Ferrari at the moment might fancy his chances at Mercedes and that Ferrari would welcome Lewis just from the PR point of view more than anything yeah I'm not sure about that at the same time that I'd love to see Lewis in a Ferrari also just for the hell of it I find it hard to imagine a situation where Leclerc would be so unhappy with Ferrari and so unhappy with the prospects of the next couple of years of Ferrari that he wanted to leave at the same time that Lewis Hamilton saw in Ferrari the prospect of another championship winning car for him. I don't think those two things would happen at the same time. I think the whole thing is driven by Lewis's patience, isn't it? And I think Lewis is tenacious and I think he has a great deal to prove and I genuinely believe he won't walk away from Formula One, he will keep fighting to find a seat until he's got that eighth championship and only then will he be happy. Yeah, in listening to several of Lewis Hamilton's interviews and comments over the weekend, I was very encouraged by how kind of positive he was sounding given the lack of performance in the car, Mm -hmm. given how far behind the performance that is required of a car to give him an eighth championship or even to give him a respectable chance of a few respectable finishes this year, given where the car's at. I was just very encouraged to hear him talking as positively about his career and about being with Mercedes as he was. Mm. It does seem unthinkable, Lewis driving for anyone else other than Mercedes, because he's very much a Mercedes man. But historically, that kind of thing has happened before, hasn't it? Where great champions of the sport have signed to teams that you've would never dream that they would go to. For instance, Senna going to Williams. What? Really? No, he's a McLaren man. He wouldn't dream of doing that. But, you know, circumstances often change and conspire and give us this sort of backstory of drama. And that's why we love the sport, isn't it? Actually, it is. And since you mentioned Williams there, it's worth saying that, again, that last race was the first time I can remember thinking, oh, Williams had a good weekend. Yeah. yeah. Not <laughs> for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Tremendous to see Albon again in his phase two revived career, putting in a respectful show. And Williams were not looking dismal for a change. It was really quite lovely to see. 
And I'm hoping for more from Logan Wolverine Sargent as well at some point. He did well on his first outing and we need an American driver to do well. So I wish him well for the rest of the season. Okay, finally, Zog, who's going to win in Saudi Arabia this weekend? I know what you're going to say. You know my answer is going to be Max Verstappen. Obviously, it's going to be Max Verstappen. Yeah. But can't wait to see what Fernando does this time. Here's to the chase. Looking forward to it, Zog. I'll be watching. You will be too. But for now, thank you very much indeed. And see you in a fortnight for more on speed, right? See you then. Bye, dude. And bye, you guys as well. I'm saying goodbye to Zog. (laughs) I'm saying goodbye to the listeners. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, listeners. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Wizbang. Hey!